So I'm not sure what the takeaway of this is totally yet, but the, the, these are hard conversations. And maybe hard is not the right word. Maybe it's scary. <laughs> maybe that's the right word for these types of conversations. And, and there's a part of me that knows that that's not what it should be, right? That, that fear is the root of a lot of our problems in the world. But I also know sometimes fear can be functional. And, and when we are scared of certain things, maybe there's good reason for it. And honestly, when it comes to a conversation like this with my guest, Lori, I'm not sure if the fear is functional or not, <laughs> honestly. Uh, so Lori is director of Include uh, LGBTQ Empowered Life Coaching and Consulting. Um, they're an expert and advocate for LGBTQ and polyamorous kink community. And Lori is a non-binary sexually fluid human. Um, and they bore witness to the impact of what that's like. Um, queer identity development, growing up, dealing with family issues that, that come out of it. So Lori strives now to create kind of an affirming, positive environment for others, something that they didn't get. And back to the fear, right? The spirit, the fear I speak of arises from, from trying to be respectful, conscious, and ultimately just a decent human. But in conversations like this, the words become very significant. The words can be loaded with biases or blind spots that may cause damage. And for somebody who's maybe not well-versed in it or not as educated on the topic, it can feel like a minefield at times. Like you're just trying to make sure you don't say the wrong thing and you never really know what the right thing to say is. And, and that can be hard. And, and sometimes it causes people to not even want to engage in these types of discussions or, or even worse <laughs> sometimes, unfortunately. But it's in those moments that I try to maintain a healthy level of empathy and compassion, which is actually Lori's most important value. Um, trying to maintain that empathy and compassion for what it feels like to be on the other side, right? As hard as it is for, for me to have these conversations, I have to remember how hard it can be to be gender fluid or queer, how hard it can be to come out to your family and have some of the people you've loved your whole entire life treat you as less than a person. So going into this conversation, to, to do it justice in the spirit of this show, I hope to accomplish two things. First, and maybe most importantly, I wanted to really listen and understand Lori's story. I think because these conversations can be so hard at times, often people don't even get to hear what it's really like to be Lori, what they've been through, how they view their life, how they feel. And I think every single human being deserves that to be heard, to feel heard. Secondly, in the spirit of the show, I wanted to try and find a way to respectfully dig into some of that fear that surrounds these discussions. I wanted to genuinely and humbly explore things like why some people cannot accept Lori for who they are. I wanted to explore what role science plays in sexuality and gender. I wanted to explore what all this teaches us about human nature and, and lots of other stuff. Um, and yeah, the conversation was hard at times, and I'm sure I didn't always say the right thing, but I really appreciated Lori engaging in the open dialogue with me. And I think their perspective and insights around the role compassion plays in all of this is, is much needed. So with that, let's get to the conversation with Lori. All right, Laurie, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to have you on the show. Um, I like to jump right in, so I will with the first question of what's the value that's most important to you? I love that you ask this question every time. And it's so neat learning from other people what their values are, thinking differently about how everyone's perspective in life. For me, <clears throat> self-compassion, compassion mm -hmm. in general, the ability to empathize with others, be concerned, for them, or when you're turning it inward for self-compassion, concern for yourself, concern, love for yourself, 
finding worth in yourself, of being gentle and kind to yourself in those hard times. Um, having self-compassion is a path to resiliency and a path to happiness. So I find that a, an important piece of our life to have some concern for ourselves and care for ourselves. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm going to hone in on one piece that you said, because I think it's really interesting because some people may think of it as contradictory. The fact that compassion, self-compassion leads to resiliency. I think often just to get right into it, particularly in today's world, there there is a viewpoint that we're too compassionate. We're too vulnerable. We're too, right? We're not. And it, it's causing something where maybe we're not as strong, however we define strong as we're supposed to be. So I think it's really interesting that you're actually making a bridge between compassion and resiliency. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that and how you see that that playing out. Of course. When you're showing kindness and compassion for yourself in the hard times, it makes you um, more willing and able to push through those hard times. Just like if you were having compassion for somebody else, treating others um, the way you want to be treated and treating yourself the way you treat others. So if you're going to talk to your friend or your family member about it's okay that you're having a hard time right now, it's okay to have a difficult time, you know it's difficult, you know it's going to come to an end at some point and you're going to get through it and you're trying to have compassion for that person that hard time. You're doing the same thing with yourself and that's a strength. Rather than um, beating yourself up about how difficult things is and getting all low in it and not moving forward because of that defeat feeling, you're giving yourself some compassion just like you would somebody else. It's all right that I'm having a hard time. This too will pass. And that gives you that mindset for the one step at a time forward mm. that you need for resiliency. So it has been found um, in some uh, some studies with through, uh, there's a couple of scientists in this field of psych positive psychology that have done studies on self-compassion and other traits that help lead to resiliency to help um, boost those traits up so that you can feel resilient. And one of the stronger correlations was those who are self-compassionate. If you are finding worth in yourself and you're using the self-talk or um, giving yourself that pat on the back in a hard time, you are treating yourself the way you would want others to treat you and you're treating yourself the way you treat others. And so you're finding that you can make it through, that you're not going to feel defeated, that you're going to find worth in yourself and you're going to make it through the very difficult time that you might be going through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's such a logic to that because I think, I mean, at our core, I think, and this is a loaded phrase I'm about to say, but we all want to feel good, right? I think that's yeah. okay and we should... And I think in what you're saying is if we're not practicing self-compassion, if we are beating ourselves up every time we get something wrong or it doesn't go our way, that doesn't feel good. We don't like not that. We'll just remove ourselves from that altogether and say, I'm just not going to do that thing or I'm not going to pursue that anymore. Whereas if you have self-compassion and it doesn't make you feel so bad as you go through the obvious inevitable hurdles and challenges and failures in life, yes. it allows you to feel positive and good enough to keep moving forward. And I think there's a lot of sense to that. I think that that makes sense. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to do. Mm. It's a very hard thing to do to look at a difficulty in life with compassion for yourself that it's understanding that you're going through something and that it's going to end eventually in the middle of it. It's very difficult to see that, mm. 
to see that in this hard time, this hardship that you're having right now, that there will be an end at some point and being able to have that clarity of mind to make those steps to get through that hard time. You need to treat yourself with kindness through that. What do you, what do you think makes it so hard in that or What do you think it is that makes that so challenging? Getting overwhelmed with emotions. Mm. It can, it can cause a fog to the clarity that you might need to get through whatever it is. Mm. So I'm trying to think of an easy example that might be applicable. I'm going to go with finances. Everybody has money troubles. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, it's, very, everybody will go through a struggle at some point with their money in their life. And it's a very overwhelming feeling that worry, what's going to happen with, with uh, whatever it is that I'm struggling with, with money. So let's say you're not get you're at unemployed for a period of time and you're struggling with uh, money to pay for food and you're waiting for that disability check or you're waiting for that uh, next job to come. The waiting, that sitting in limbo, the the concern, the anxiety that you're feeling about what's going to happen now, this is overwhelming. If you haven't had somebody talk to you as a child or talk to you in your adult life and say to yourself, yeah, yeah, this is hard. I've gone through this too. Or this is how you're going to get through it and had someone there for you while you're overwhelmed with this worry you having the ability to do that for yourself will help you get through it Mm. so telling yourself yeah all right this really freaking sucks i really want to be able to have this job happen so i don't have this feeling anymore i'm gonna be okay because i am capable of sending out resumes i'm gonna be okay because i have had a struggle like this in the past and it ended at some point I'm okay because I saw this other person in my life struggle with this too, and they got through it and they wound up getting another job. That that ability to switch your mindset from, this is so overwhelming, is this ever going to go away, to, yes, it will. This is overwhelming right now. This is temporary. I It's okay to feel hurt in this moment. It's uh, There is something real in my life that I'm struggling with. However... I know that I have the skills to push through it and this is how I'm going to push through it. That's hard to do, but mm. it's a strength to have. Yeah. So it's a high value. Yeah. I mean, and everything you're saying resonates. It, it sounds right, but I can't, there's, there's a part of my mind and, and I don't know if it's right, wrong or indifferent that can't help but think that like there's a motivation that comes from maybe being hard on yourself, right? When when you do, let's, let's use the example you're saying where you're having those financial tough times and you're struggling through it that sensation of, geez, I got to figure this out. Like I need to be better. I need to get this job. This isn't okay. Like I'm, I'm letting my family down or whatever it is. I see all the toxicity in that. I see how that can, can poison us and, mm-hmm. and it's causes all sorts of drama and stress and anxiety, but there is, there would seem to be an, a component of it, which makes me feel like, well, okay, but that's going to push me to make sure I do this. I'm going to send out that many more resumes because I've put this pressure on myself. And again, I'm not saying that's the right way to go. I think some people think it is, um, is there anything to that? Is there anything? Because I guess the other side of that, the fear is that if you let yourself off the hook too much, if you're too compassionate, then you think like, okay, no big deal. Like we'll get through this. Not, not that much action that I need to take. I don't need to really be driving too hard on this. How do you think about that balance and striking that balance? If so, and maybe the answer is like, no, 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 that's always wrong. You should never beat yourself up in that way. The answer is in the middle ground. 
So you don't want toxic positivity and you don't want toxic negativity. Toxic positivity is ignoring the reality that you're in. Toxic negativity is beating yourself up about the reality that you're in. In an unproductive way. Yeah. So you could also be sitting there saying, this isn't okay and never do anything about it. And you're just telling yourself that over and over again. You could also be telling yourself, this is fine. This is fine. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. And that's just gaslighting yourself. Yeah. So that middle ground there where like, yeah, I'm having a hard time. This sucks. This can't happen anymore. I know have the skills to get through it. Those are all things that you're telling yourself that you would tell somebody else too. Mm. You would tell your sibling, I hope, or a good friend, I hope that, yeah, the, the situation in right now, this does suck. This is the reality that you're in. It's not, it doesn't feel good. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good to be sitting here not knowing what to do next with your money because you don't know if you should put the money towards the heat bill or the food bill. Mm-hmm. I get that. That is not a, a good place to be in. But then telling yourself, I can do this. I can go to the social security office. I can go to the office of unemployment. I can put out the resume over there. I can put, think about it for today and put a little bit of money towards food for today and a little bit of money towards a, a warmth heating unit of sorts so that I have a middle ground here because I have the clarity now. I've told myself, yeah, this is the situation I'm in. Mm. This does suck, but I have the skills to take care of it. That is being compassionate towards yourself in a healthy way. Mm. In a productive way. And, and I like the word you use. You keep saying clarity and like the emotional fog that can come. I think that's such an important point of this, that the yeah. ability to see the chessboard, if you will, clearly Whereas yeah. when you are beating yourself up, it's so hard to do that. And without that clarity, how could you ever make the next logical step? Because you, you're kind of throwing darts in the dark at that point when you're just totally fogged up by emotion and feeling down on yourself. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> having emotional intelligence is a piece of this. So knowing exactly the feelings that you're having gives you that skill set, I guess you could say of being able to identify the problem that you're having so that you can that's causing these emotions that you can then move forward Mm. so it's like an alarm system you know something is off in your body and in your environment that's giving you this emotion or something is good that's happening in your environment in this uh, in this moment that's giving you this positive feeling so your feelings are your alarm system Mm. and understanding exactly this the gray areas between anger and pain and sadness and grief and all those emotions that we don't like dealing with so sometimes we ignore or avoid or or get overwhelmed with um uh, being able to identify all those little pieces allows us then to say what is causing this grief what is causing this anxiety what is causing this overwhelm that i'm feeling right now and then you can find that problem and be able to work on it Mm. So part of self-compassion allows you to do that. It says to yourself, this is your reality. And it's it's something that is the reason why you're having this feeling. It's okay that you're having this feeling. There's, there is something going on in here. Let's deal with this together. Let's hold each other's hands, you know, like and move forward with it. Mm-hmm. The same kind of compassion you would give for somebody oh, else or give yeah. to yourself to help them push through. Yeah. And I can't help but think as you're saying it, right? Like we said it in the beginning, compassion, hold somebody's hand through it, 
today in today's world for whatever reason and, and we could talk about it like there's a stigma of that of like that there's something yeah. some people have that there's something negative right but the irony of that is the things you're saying about getting to that clarity the emotional intelligence digging in and saying why why is this causing so much anxiety i can't think of a more many more courageous things or harder things to do the mental toughness it takes to actually be honest with yourself about yeah. what your issues are what insecurities you have that are leading to those emotions that is the toughest thing I've ever done in my life personally, right? So this idea yes. that that somehow is like soft, fluffy weakness, it. <laughs> it's such the opposite. And it makes me wonder, like, how do you think, why, why do you think, and this may be opening a whole can of worms, but why do you think in the year 2022 where we're at, that's the connection that's been made for so many people, that that's a weakness in some way? I think that comes from generations handing down that mindset. So if you look at how far we've come in the field of psychology and treating people in general that are having um, mental health issues or emotional crises in the past, it wasn't quite like that. You know, a long time ago, it wasn't quite like that. So I, I, I'm guessing and there's no, I haven't read any studies to know the truth behind it, but this is my theory. My theory is that long time ago, people were hard on people that weren't working so hard out of jealousy or anger or whatever it is and people were getting sent away to institutions for being overwhelmed with their emotions those things combined put a stigma on anybody that is just not trucking through that's just not pushing through mm. no matter how they're feeling um and so <clears throat> as that gets handed down when you're teaching your kids how to be an adult and as it gets handed out you're teaching the next generation how to be an adult a piece of that kept getting passed through and so you'll have people that are haven't dealt with their emotions looking at uh, or they're uh, haven't dealt in a healthy way with communication with others with uh, treating others as um, kindly or with treating themselves kindly you'll have a, a generation now that is looking at people that are are getting help for managing their emotions and looking at the world differently than them. And there becomes a time where they're butting heads on that. So you have somebody who has one mindset and someone who has another mindset. Now we're butting heads. They haven't taken the time to listen to each other and hear each other. You have yeah. the unhealthy view. The person who thinks that we need to avoid these feelings, that they're just a hassle and we need to just push through it is not going to be listening openly to the person who has learned how to communicate and speak and hear actively and show compassion with themselves to make it through in a calmer way, in a healthier way, in a way that shows has clarity on what to do with that problem. Mm. So I think that over the next few years, we're going to see a start of a shift because we have more people going to therapy now, more people understanding the value in learning how to communicate, learning how to actively listen, learning how to be compassionate to others, how to be compassionate with themselves, learning how to manage or handle the tough times that have been avoided by other generations, mm. just push through and see their emotions as a valuable piece of strength in their life. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it, it's, it's, it's fair and right to say that we, we are all humans, right? We're all flawed yeah. in our own ways. And and there are instances and opportunities for people to take the, the things you're saying, which make, again, very good logical sense, 
and and get misguided with them and take it to an extreme in that other way to the toxic positivity maybe or to a place of um it, it's not it's no longer productive or healthy for them right they're they're just yeah. they're so, they're so looking for compassion that they stop worrying about actually solving the problem or the issue right so there is a balance there but but i don't think that detracts at all from what you're saying it makes me think as i kind of extrapolate out on, a, on a, maybe a philosophical level there, there's a thought i have and i'm glad you brought up that theory that there's like this fundamental tension that sits at the root of like human nature and society, maybe for the history of time since we gained consciousness or soon after it, where there's one school of thought, which is, which seems to be the predominant one of late, which is human nature, the human existence is about growth in whatever form we think that is. We need to keep pushing forward and growing and improving and innovating and bigger and better. And, and, and sometimes that's amazing. It, we do that in the medical field and we make people healthier and we can help people have more comfortable, joyous lives it doesn't really matter what we all pick our own direction, but whatever it is, we want to sprint ahead and grow and, and get better. Then there's another school of thought that says like, well, what are we all sprinting towards? Right. That, that, that point, the phrase you used of like, forget out your emotions, just push through. Well, push through to what? And it's, it's to that growth. It's to be successful, but there's other people that look at it and say, but, but what about the human experience? What about just our time here on this earth and our interconnectedness with others? Sure. Growth is good, but it's more about the moment and the experience and living like a holistic life that embodies all of it. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It's not about growing all the times. So there's other things to it, human connection, other things, right? And that fundamental like difference seems to drive a lot of it. And I think there's a view today, and, and you alluded to it a little bit, that's like, we're starting to shift. We're starting to realize we've hit an evolution in our consciousness, which people are starting to realize like, hey, that growth thing, I get the benefits, but I think we went too far. I think we need to pull back. But the cynical side of me says like, I think many generations have thought that. Like you can go back to the 60s with the hippies. There was a sense of like 60s, 70s where like that was starting to happen. And I don't know as humans, can we ever overcome that need to grow at scale? Can we ever as a society realize like it can't all be about growth? I don't know that we can. Do you, do you have optimism for that? Do you think there's a way for us? And, and maybe some people would say it's fine. It should be all about growth. You know, I don't know. But how do you think about that? The everlasting question, what's the meaning of life? Yeah, that's it. That, right? That's it. <laughs> I was hoping you had the answer so we could uh, know what went wrong. Number of interesting things to talk about in that uh, thought process, and I think I'm going to land on self-actualization. Okay. So I think that's where I'm going to land on um, finding out for each individual person. So instead of me looking at it as like a societal, what's the meaning of like the whole society? I'm going to look at it as each individual person's purpose in their life. So for each individual person to reach self-actualization meaning like the, the epitome of of optimism that you want to have in your life you're asking yourself then what am i striving for what is success to me what is what is it that i want out of this life and not from and this is this is a part that gets hard it's where you're truly looking within instead of what the influences of everybody around you so that there lands again on under on emotional intelligence. How how good are you at looking within yourself and removing everything else around you from influencing you, but just focusing on what is it that you want? So you're striving for growth all the time. Well, what does that look like in the end? And is that when you sit with that and you imagine yourself really living at that epitome where there's no more that you want and you're happy, what does that really look like to you? It might not look like 
the top end job that you could possibly have that your family was telling you would be the best thing you could have in your life. It may be, but it might not be. You might get to that top part and you're like, hey, hang on a second here. I don't have a life outside of this job now. Is this what I wanted? I don't ever get to see my kids if I had kids or um, was that part of my plan was to not have a family and get to the top of the, the pyramid here at work. And now what do I have? So you might think you know what you want for yourself, but do you? Did you did you sit there in life and feel and experience the present moments? And here's that part where you're that holistic part of like understanding the present moment. Is that valuable? Yeah, it is valuable. It is valuable because it helps you understand yourself better. Do you think though so, at the individual level? Because what what I worry about is the ability for people to do that individually if the society just doesn't allow for it again at scale, right? Where I may want to pull myself back and, and look at it differently, but the society is so set up where you keep getting pulled into this sense of like, but I, I can't function outside of that because that's just the way we are. Like, can it can it be done at the individual level if it, at the societal it level be. it's not there? It can be, but um, that's if you're not one of the members of the oppressed <laughs> population. So you have so many factors in this. Um, sometimes you're stuck in something and you can't see the outside uh, way around it. It just happened to me recently where I was like, I can't find my way out of this one role. How do I, how do I find another path for myself? And you needed some, I needed somebody to bounce that off of. So uh, for me, it was a coach or a counselor sort of a therapist, somebody that's neutral that I can sit and talk through and be asked really deep introspective questions to help me look differently at my situation. So that's one way to help yourself out of something that feels very hopeless is to have somebody to talk to that doesn't have any doesn't have any external influences on your situation. They're just a sounding board that allows you to reflect deeper. Another situation though that comes about is societal oppression. So we have in many states, and as you're listening in the United States, there's many states that have some laws that prevent people from getting to certain things that they want, like legalized same-sex marriage or being able to have an abortion or being able to um, go into the bathroom that lines up with their gender identity. Those are things that are valuable to many people in their lives, and they can't access that because there's a law preventing it. So that's when you're also having somebody else that's able to talk to you to, to give yourself compassion that there's things that are out of your control. So what can I have that's in my control that gives me something that I can be happy with? How can I manage this feeling about this thing that's out of my control? So is, is that a, is that a, I, I, it may be the best answer. It may be a good answer, but it also may be, um, I don't know, the phrase like a band-aid, right? Like where it's is there yeah. an illusion of that where it's like it's the best we can get so we convince ourselves that like we can still have good, happy lives even in that construct. But are we being yeah, is, it, is I that mean, true? Uh, you're you're looking at um God, what was the name of that person? There's a lot of people that have lived in very oppressive societies that have been um uplifted in and biographies in history and in uh, in our social studies classes mm -hmm. in school, right? That have shown us 
that we can have very adverse conditions and still find peace within. Yeah, the so, book that comes to mind for me, I don't know if you've read it, is um, The Choice by Dr. Uh, Edith Egger. She was a, uh, she was in Auschwitz at like 14 or 15 years old. Um, and the whole book was very much centered around the point you're making right now, even in the worst of conditions, yeah. arguably, the ability to still find a way to keep who you are and, and hope and optimism alive and those types of things. Viktor Frankl obviously comes to mind, the man's search for meaning. It's kind of in that vein that you Yeah, saying? kind of in that vein, yeah. So we're, we're looking at what is in my control. That's all the things from within. They can't take who I am away from me, even though they can affect my environment. And for some people, that is not just sitting there and, and accepting it. For some people, that's a path to activism. So that again, that at the individual level, mm. what can I do? And that's a part of that coaching mindset of we're finding motivation for change. What is it that you want to change? If you can't change it because of laws, what can you do to make it better for yourself? And for some people that's, well, I'm going to organize a nonprofit or I'm going to go join that march or I am going to find people that align with me at work to make a change at the work level or just within my family unit, just within this area. I might not be able to fix the whole state, but I can fix the space that I'm in right now. So I, I guess I am a little bit more of the glass half full, yeah. but yeah. I am also leaning towards the acceptance. I have, to, I have to accept the fact that there are things that I cannot change, even though I desperately want to. <laughs> desperately want to get the people in my family who are on the opposite end of my belief system to see my view of things, but they're not able to actively listen and hear me in a way that makes me feel like I'm being heard. So what am I going to do about that? I'm going to keep modeling to them the opposite of what they believe so that maybe one day they're open enough to see it or hear it or accept it. It might not happen right now, but it could happen a decade from now. And I'm just going to keep trucking along until they're ready. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And it's like, there's an aspect of that. So just the family example that you give where they just, you think about that and you say, why, why don't, why don't they get it? Why don't they accept? Why don't they understand? And there's, I guess, two reasons that come to mind, right? One is they, they genuinely believe there's something wrong or detrimental mm -hmm. to society or whatever it is. If they were to do that, they, they believe they can't do it for that reason or and or um, there is there is like a selfishness. There's a there's yeah. a greed, evilness, whatever word you want to put on it of like, but I like it this way. So it should be the way I like it. And to me, either one of those two things, um, it doesn't like what, what, the glass half full. I love that you're glass half full. I think we need more of that. But how do you maintain glass half full when like, and, and this is family we're talking about where that's, because again, think of the implications of that. One implication is bad people, right? The other implication is, are they, they're right? Like that doesn't seem to be a good aspect of it, right? So like, how, where's the optimism come yeah, from? I'll, I'll use a little bit of a metaphor for that. That's, this is a fun one. So you imagine yourself as a glass, there's a glass of water, it's half filled up, but now you're you're having people or your environment is taking from you. They're making you feel bad. They're pulling water out of your glass. And now your glass is starting to empty and you're starting to feel that 
that emptiness, right? What do you do about that to get yourself back to being full? You have to fill it up. You have to pull from something else. So having self-care becomes mm. part of keeping your glass half full when everybody is pulling from it. I have to have a reservoir of another pitcher of water that I'm pulling from when others are emptying me out. Mm. So when my family, when I first came out, um, as you guys probably all heard, I am a lesbian, but it's later in life. Uh, I was married for like a decade to a guy. And then I went through like one of those moments of epiphanies of like self-discovery that I went on and came out and wound up getting remarried. But I wasn't talking to my family during that time when I was going through my self-discovery. I wasn't really um, being very open about it. So when I did come out and introduce my fiance to the family, it was a pretty big shock to a lot of people. And I have a lot of uh, very conservative religious people or just conservative uh, with what they consider family values where you have opposite gender marriages, right? Um, so when I came out, it was a shock to their system and a lot of things that they said to me, oh, there wasn't all of them. There were some people that really surprised me and were very open and welcoming. But the ones that were very, that I felt very close to were not accepting of what was going on and took a long time for them to be, but they said very hurtful things. And I did start to feel my cup empty very much where I felt like there was nothing left in me. And did I you believe them? Is that why? I wanted them to accept me. It was that. I wanted, them, okay. I wanted something that I wasn't going to get. I loved myself. I loved my wife. It wasn't making me question who I was. And I went through that discovery path that I was, I was completely committed to my identity. But I wanted them to love me too. And I wanted them to, to say, well, anything positive or even neutral, just not hurtful. To say, well, I understand you, um, but I'm going to have to pull myself back for a bit while I wrap my mind around this would have even been better mm. than um, telling me not to talk to other family members anymore or not to come around anymore. So there wasn't any, there wasn't a healthy way that they were dealing it with me. They were very unhealthy for me. I had to give myself distance so I can get myself out of bed. <laughs> you know, like I had to, to read some good books, take myself on a walk, surround myself with community that was back up. and fill my cup back up. So that meant not talking to those family members for a while and setting my boundaries. That meant I'm taking some time to do my art. I love to paint. And I expressed a lot of my emotions in my paintings, seeing my uh, mental health professionals to talk about. Um, anything that was filling my cuff back up, that was what I was doing in those moments. So when we're talking about to circle back, like, what do you do to stay in that mindset when everything around you is just not feeling it? And pushing against you, you have to fill your cup back up. Mm. Mm. Just to, to dig in on the, the personal journey a little bit um, to wherever you're comfortable going with it. But if, if you try and I'll say the word empathize, because I, I do think that word is so important. And I think sometimes that word can be triggering when we're empathizing with people who seem to have hate in their hearts or they seem to yeah. be hurting other people. 
But if you try and empathize with those family members, and by that I mean just try and understand really where they were coming mm-hmm. from, what what do you think was at the root of it? Like what why do you think they couldn't give you that acceptance that you wanted? I was going against a strong inner belief system that they had. And it's hard for people to change and see something positive and that they held so deeply opposite of that in that fast moment. So I remember when I was said that I had spent a lot of time on myself and got to know myself, they hadn't had that journey. Mm. I just show up one day and I'm like, here I am, accept me, but didn't get, but they needed space to feel what that was and process what that was. And so part of having self-compassion for me is also having compassion for them. Mm. They don't have to hurt me. I can set my boundary like you can't be rude to me. I have to respect me. But I also have to accept that they need time to process and decide how they feel about this. Mm. And if and I offer to uh, offer to them um, the ones who are willing to listen to me instead of just ignore me. Um, if you have questions, you want to understand where this came from, I will talk it out. If you have uh, anything that you want to say in a respectful dialogue, we can talk things through. I'm the same person that you knew growing up. I just discovered that I love women. And this woman that's here with me, this is who she is. This is what she's all about. This is what we're all about. Just like what you guys are all about with your um, heterosexual relationships. So I tried with the people that were willing and were like on that teetering point, unsure what to do feeling very uncomfortable, they were still willing to actively listen. But for instance, with my mother, it wasn't like that. She, she wasn't giving me the space to speak. She was saying awful, hurtful slurs. And, um, because she was was worried about you. Was she, did she think in some way that was her concern? Well, regardless of what her concern was, I wish she was respectful. Right. That seems like the base. That was the, that was the problem. The biggest problem was like, I could empathize with her fears that she had and I can meet her at those fears and help her, but not when she's being disrespectful and bigoted and ignoring me and abusive in her language. Mm. So no, I I had to shut that down until she was ready to speak to me respectfully Mm. for my own mental health. So you could be there for people be compassionate for people but also have compassion for yourself that you don't have to put yourself in a situation that's hurtful that's going to be detrimental to your own mental health Mm. yeah there's a certain amount of um like self-respect and self-value that comes with compassion yeah that that's implicit in that which i don't think people think about sometimes but as you're saying it like to set that boundary to say compassion for me is knowing that i deserve better than that like i'm not going to be treated that way that's a big piece of it that's very hard for people who are a lot of people who are trying to come out to family because you have a lot of people that you value and that you love and that you grew up with that are coming that might be if you're in a situation like I was because not everybody has this life experience a lot of people do that are coming out um they're all attacking you and you held them up on a pedestal because they're your family so it's very hard to then stand yourself up on a pedestal too and meet them with 
you don't get to treat me like this. I wouldn't treat you like this. So why are you treating me like this? We can talk to each other and have different um, conversations about our fears and our worries and our differences and understand each other if we're on the same pedestal. But if they're, you're holding them up high and they're berating you to find your own self-worth from within and, and care about yourself outside of that, to pull yourself up and set a boundary, that's a lot of work. Mm. that's that's a lot of work and it's possible but it's um gotta get to yourself to that mental space where you're capable of standing up for yourself yeah well maybe the last thing on this thread and again wherever you're comfortable going with it if if i don't did you ever get the opportunity with a family member to for them to actually listen to what that journey was for you and, and I'm curious if, if you're comfortable sharing it now, like you mentioned you were married at some point. And I don't ask this in a way of like, when did you realize you loved women? Because I, I understand it's not simple. This isn't necessarily a simple thing. But for you personally, what what was that like? What was that realization like? How did it, how did that, you said you had more time obviously to go through it. What is it that you wish maybe they heard about that journey for you? What is it you think they didn't understand about it? And many people don't understand that haven't been through it of what that process was like to get to where you are today. Because, because, and, and I'll ask this too, as I, I see you thinking, Lori, so maybe to give you some time. I think there are some jaded, cynical people, whatever, that would, that think, you know, obviously some people think it's still a choice. Some people think people do it for attention. Some people think it's just, it's in vogue right now and society is brainwashing people to be this way. I would have to imagine some of that animosity you got from your family, maybe some of those thoughts fall through your head. Yeah. It'd be awesome for people to hear like, no, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fucking human. Let me explain to you what my actual human experience was, not this narrative that you want to believe it is or whatever that you think, you know? Yeah. So sexuality and gender are two separate things i want to start off there um i'm starting off there mostly because of the experience that i had walking in on a meeting with people that were very anti talking about gender and sexuality in the school systems so i wanted to hear their perspectives and understand their opinions i guess not a lot of people do that i was the only gay person in the room listening to this mm. but um I went in and I, and the way they were talking about it, I was like, there's a lot of ignorance around what gender and sexuality is. So I'm going to start there. Gender and sexuality are two totally separate things. So they do have some things that overlap, but they're completely separate identities. So your gender identity can be fluid, meaning it can range on a spectrum that goes around in a loop and goes in and out and all about. And the same thing for sexuality, even in the heterosexual identity, you can range quite a bit in how that's expressed and felt within, right? So while I did use a label as lesbian, it's mostly so that people can understand kind of where on that spectrum I am, even though it's still fluid, just like heterosexuality can be fluid. So while I, um, my name is Lori, it's not necessarily mean I'm a cis woman. I'm actually on the gender fluid spectrum. I range as well in my how I express and feel about my gender. So I want to make that clear to people at the very beginning there. So getting to my journey, how I explain that to people. Well, the people who need to hear about it tend to have um, a lot of things they haven't learned. So I'm discussing then how what my experience was as a child 
I'm discussing what my experience was like in high school and middle school and then as an adult and how that awareness came about. When I was younger, I wasn't exposed to anything other than heterosexual couples, whether that's in fairy tales, like the Disney princesses, how a, how a girl needs to act in that fairy tale that the girl gets the prince at the very end, or whether it was like when my mother wore a very sweetly like any other family was like oh when you grow up and you're married to a guy you're going to xyz you know and that's very innocent way of talking because that was her life experience she got married to a guy and she's sharing her life experience but for me that that kept me from seeing that things that I was experiencing growing up were actually parts of my sexuality and gender that were unrealized so I don't know if you've heard the term implicit bias or internalized homophobia. Those things were my experiences. So implicit bias is just that you're not realizing that you're you're biased in a certain direction. So the, the people around me were showing their biases towards the heterosexual relationships by bringing in books into classrooms that showed families with a woman and a man and uh, and two kids and a dog and a picket fence and a, a big house in the suburbs you're getting like those experiences around you on tv in the newspapers in the in the schools the parents that are coming in were always the moms right because you're seeing your gender roles and you're seeing your orientation uh towards heterosexuality as the norm and that was what was kind of expect I felt was expected of me. So I'm looking at guys and I'm dating guys as I'm growing up. And it's not like, it's not like they were bad experiences or anything. I mean, yeah, I had um, relationships that didn't work out just like other kids had relationships that didn't work out. Some of them were toxic. Some of them weren't as that's part of the identity process, figuring yourself out in a relationship. But I was always picking guys that I got along with as a friend. Mm. And I didn't realize that my attractions to women were not also the same experiences that other people that were cis women were ha were having. I thought that uh, from the movies and TV shows that these girl crushes that I was having was just me being interested in their their beauty. Mm. Like, oh, I wish I could have looked like that girl. I have a girl crush. That's what I was seeing in the movies. That's what I thought that feeling was that I had because I didn't have anything else to gauge it on. So it wasn't really until I was much older when you start when I started seeing more couples holding hands that were the same sex or more queer people in my life in general to find myself similar in some way, shape, or form to them. Where I started to question those feelings that I was having, those dreams that I was having, those fantasies that I was having. And wanted to see what that was all about. Mm. Mm. So I'm going to ask a question and I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm just going to ask it and, and hopefully you'll understand the spirit of it. Cause I, I think about this a lot and, and obviously not obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I think it's important that we do accept people for who they are. If nobody's hurting anybody else, obviously, right. The things that I think you and I would probably agree on. Um, but again, in the spirit of part of the reason I do this show is I, I want to bring the, 
unconscious, sometimes the uncomfortable things to light, because yeah. I think that's how we solve with them and we figure them out, right? Absolutely. I, I can imagine there's some people that that hear what you're saying, even even good people who are trying to process and think, and but they have this view, science is often thrown into this, and science is a whole other thing that we could debate, but whether it be around gender fluidity, whether it be about the, the traditional, quote unquote, traditional heterosexual, like, but that's, that's the quote unquote natural order, right? That's the way it, science, it, you, a man and a woman have sex, before. they procreate, a baby is born, right? And it's, it, that doesn't have to pass a judgment to say that the queer lifestyle or a different lifestyle is wrong, but just an acknowledgement that it's not the the quote unquote natural view of it, right? Again, I'm not saying that's right or anything like that, but how do you how do you think about that? Because in some ways, I, I there's there's a very literal truth to that of like I understand, right? If if we if maybe I don't even I'm not well versed in this enough to know that if you go back to you know early cavemen or even just the animal kingdom, that it, it there is a traditional way. But that thought process that some people have where they say, I can even get on board with it, but let's just acknowledge that this isn't, this isn't science or whatever. I can't acknowledge that. that. You're right. I, I, I agree. So yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk to me about that. I can't acknowledge that there. Um, if you do go back to ancient history, you will find if you're actually reading the science and not just reading the Buzzfeed news that comes through, you know, if you look at the actual science behind, there is documentations, anthropological and biological documentations on queer identities of the past. Um, especially when you go and look at tribal life that is still around and tribal life of the past, you will see that there was and is people who are gender fluid and people who have had relationships that were of the same gender. You will also see in biology that there are chromosomes that can settle up in the right in the right environment just like there are a lot there are lots of genetic uh, genetic i'm starting over my words here <laughs> there's a lot of proof through genetics that when you're set off in a certain environment certain genes will pop off so you might be predispositioned to have certain personality traits and under the certain conditions those personality traits will will thrive will pop out right you might be predispositioned um, to feel more more as a woman versus a man. And if you're looking at the binary, the female male, um, you might be predispositioned to mentally feel one way or another, but under the right environmental circumstances, you're not understanding that, you're not getting the chance to express that. And when you do, you feel better. You feel more yourself. There's also some brain studies that have been done that have shown that there's um, areas of the brain that are firing off differently for transgender people. So if you are a, if you were born male, for instance, and you felt like a woman, a, a cis woman your whole life, and you wind up going ahead and transitioning and they've studied your brain, when you were a kid, that brain looked similar to a feminine cis woman's brain and vice versa. So there are a lot of things out there that I just have not been allowed to be taught because of state laws. Your kids could be learning about this stuff and understand this stuff if the schools are allowed to teach science properly. Mm. And there's if an interesting allowed. question in that of like, mm. why? Why, why are people, I, I think, I think the first level answer to why those things are restricted by state laws in some case is 
people, it would have to be logically, I think people are worried if you teach that it's going to encourage it. Maybe it's going to, it's going to force people into it, which to me, I always find that very fascinating (laughs) because a, no, right. Obviously I agree. Right. The the thought of that, um, (laughs) it seems unlikely, but even if it did, I think what people don't reckon with enough is why do you think that's a problem? Let's say that's true. Let's say you did that and it, and more people became non-binary or homosexual, whatever it is. There's a reckoning there of like you admitting, but I don't like that. I don't want more people like that. And why? Why don't you want more people like that? And I think that's a really interesting thread, not even interesting, important thread to go down to understand, right? Um, most people will stop at the you're going to, you're going to, you're going to infiltrate our kids and you're going to get them to be this way. And again, we can have a whole discussion of how that doesn't hold. Right. But even if it did, why does that upset you? What is the fear you think people have about a society where there are people who are more gender fluid, where we do. And to me, it almost goes back a little bit to that growth versus like holistic living thing. Um, It's that, why are we afraid to allow people to just be exactly what they are? Is there a fear that society is going to crumble? Is there a fear that I don't know. What do you think? Like, what do you think is at the root of that fear at the very base of it? Yeah. I mean, yes, it's fear, but fear isn't always rational, right? No, for sure. For sure. Well, Um, I I like to think there's, there's always a logic. It's not a good logic. There's like big L logic and little L. So there's something, a calculation in their head that's getting them to that point. I don't think it's blind. I'm not saying it's right, obviously, but what do you think it, or do you think differently? Do you think it's just completely irrational? There's not really a logic to it. (laughs) um well it's not true if you take a look at my history sure um i was shown heterosexual stuff my whole life and i'm gay there you go so there's logic number one (laughs) so if i'm showing heterosexual kids folks with families that have two moms or two dads doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be gay. Agreed. Agreed. What it does show is that you're able to teach your kids to be empathetic and accepting and respectful of diversity. But that's Just the like part showing that... different ethnicities in these textbooks. Your kid is not going to all of a sudden want to go travel across the world to live in another country to be just like that person just because they saw it in a book. Mm. Mm. You also have to understand that your kids might explore and experiment with their identity because it's part of their natural childhood development. So from puberty throughout high school, they're going on a journey. They're going on a journey, pushing boundaries against their parents' beliefs. They're going on a journey trying to see themselves outside of their parents and who they are. And they're exploring and experimenting in many different ways. And they could be doing that safely, knowing that their parents will be respectful of them through this process. Or they could be doing that in a very dangerous way where they're putting their health and safety at risk because they're trying so hard to find themselves and push back. So they may push back harder and harder. The parents are holding too tightly. Sure. You could have a variety of ways that that comes across. And for some kids, they might explore their gender identity a little bit they might explore sexuality a little bit you've i'm sure you've heard of people talking about college how they had that one kiss with that other same sex person in that fling during that sorority party or whatever but they're coming out in a marriage with the same uh, with our opposite sex heterosexual you could 
there is definitely um, things that you would notice and see and be able to discuss with your child to see if this was a path they're sticking to or if this was an ex exploration of who they are. And you'll notice a pattern, I'm sure, if you had a healthy environment where they were subjected to a lot of diversity, you'll notice a pattern as they're growing up that is showing a leniency in one direction or another and a deep-rooted need versus wanting to fit in with other kids. But, but why do you think the parents, the administrator, whatever, whatever it is, the people that don't want kids going on that journey, what do you, why? why? What are they afraid of? <sighs> They're afraid of and not matching them. People, all right, so if you're looking at uh, I'm, I'm going to use high school. Uh, if you're looking at high school cafeteria, you'll probably see clusters of kids. You'll see the you'll probably see the clusters of the soccer players, the artists. You'll see, probably see a cluster of um, this this yes uh, English a second language groups of kids that are speaking bilingual to each other. You might see a drama kids. You're going to see clusters. They're all trying to find people that are like them, right? They're you're very, we're very attracted to seeing ourselves and others. It's a very innate, deep-rooted need from in biology for us to feel part of a tribe, feel that we are accepted and connected to a group. So my theory is that the fear stems from the kid leaving that group. Mm. What's going to happen to my child? They're not in my in my clan anymore. They're not matching us anymore. They're they're the black sheep now, they're different. And so they wanna pull it in close and keep them sheltered and safe to what they know and understand as part of their tribe, as part of their cluster, their group. I wonder if that doesn't circle back as we're coming towards the end here to where you started with self-compassion. I wonder yeah. if those parents, if they didn't have more self-compassion in their life, because I, I find this to be true. There's very few things I'm really, really confident and certain of. I have a son who's eight years, uh, nine years old now, and I tell him all the time, because as every kid, there's times where he's like, oh, is this going to be weird if I do this? And I say, every single person is weird. Everybody is yeah. weird. Just most people are afraid to admit it. And in the spirit of that, if those same parents didn't practice more self-compassion to say, hey, the weird, the weird, quote unquote, weird stuff about me, that's okay. Yes. That's who I am. How much easier it would then be for them to do it for their children and other you know, people in society? And maybe that's the beautiful illustration of that value that you started with of why it's not just about you, even that self-compassion. It's allowing you yeah. to bring that to the rest of the world as well. It gives you permission to do it for others. And that's, if that doesn't hammer home why it's important, I don't know what, what does. Modeling that for your children will be beautiful. Mm. So if you are having a kid who's pushing against what you're used to and you're and you're anxious and worried about them, modeling for them that that it's okay to be themselves and to be different than you, or that you might be having a hard time with that. And here's why, child, is here why I'm having a hard time with this. Just bear with me here. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get through it. I wanna be there for you, but I'm just having a hard time in this moment. Those modeling those beautiful sentiments will give you a stronger connection with your child. They won't be scared to show you the same concerns that they're having about themselves and to talk it out with you because they'll know that you're going to talk to them in that way, the way you're mm. talking to yourself. Mm. And listen, I, I wish it wasn't this way, 
but that's hard for people. I get yeah. it's hard given right. their lived experience, their point of reference, their faith in some cases, their insecurities yes. themselves. There's all sorts. They're, they're worried about their kids. A lot of them at the core of it, they're just, they're trying to balance. How do I best raise my kid and take care of my kid? I get that's hard. And again, I'll, I'll plug it again. I think that's where the compassion comes in. Yes, yeah. it is hard. Yes, of course it's hard. This is, you're not going to get it all right. But if you don't beat yourself up, if you don't feel like you have to get it right and you just try and be a human yeah. and connect and model in those ways and be open and transparent, the outcome would seem to have to be better. And, and that's why, Lori, I appreciate so much you having this conversation. And again, I know some of this is sensitive, it's personal. And honestly, I, I, I worry about asking some of the questions sometimes because I, I, don't, I don't want to, to diminish or make it a disservice, but I think the more we can have this type of conversation and let people hear it, I think it's for the better. So the work you're doing, everything you're about with the compassion and, and the coaching that I know you're doing, um, I think it's awesome and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you Thank being you. on. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks, you too. All right.